0: the daughter of Peniel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying, coming to them. At that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem.
1: When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him.
0: You know, Hebrews 4.15 says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And the author of Hebrews continues in chapter (laughs) 5, verses 1 and 2, to say that every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God. To offer gifts and sacrifices for sins, he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness.
1: This is a reading from Philippians 2, 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage,
0: We're going to continue reading right now in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 41.
1: Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. (coughs) Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, "'Son,' Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you.
0: Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them.
1: Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man.
2: Luke 3, 1 through 22. John the Baptist prepares the way. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Eturia, and Trachonitis and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priestess of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. "'What should we do then?' the crowd asked. "'John answered, "'The man with two tunics should share with him who has none, "'and the one who has food should do the same.' "'Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teachers, they, "'Teacher,' they asked, "'What should we do?' "'Don't collect any more than you are required to,' he told them. "'Then some soldiers asked him, "'And what should we do?' "'He replied,' Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and all were wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all, he locked John up in prison." When all the people were being baptized Jesus was baptized too and as he was praying heaven was opened and a and the holy spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came out from heaven You are my son whom I love with he, with you I am well pleased this is the word of god heavenly father thank you for your word
3: uh, would we hear your word today, just like John received your word uh, and, and shared it with others? Would we hear your word and receive it into our own lives? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, chances are this is the last sermon you will hear in 2017. So I hopefully want to end on a, on a high note, uh, but we'll see. I know this isn't true of Bernie and Diane, because Bernie has to preach, so I'm sure that one will be much better. Uh, But this is kind of our ending, right, of 2017 as as cornerstone uh, in your own lives. We're wrapping up the year. And how do you feel about 2017? Like, was it a good year? Uh, Maybe you were a bit overwhelmed by all the different news stories, uh, by the, all the different things that happened in our country, and our lives, or maybe it was great. Uh, you had a great year with your family and your loved ones. How about 2018? So we're ending one year and we're beginning a new year, How do you feel about next year? Like, what expectations are you already putting out there? Like, I hope this happens or that happens. I finally want to lose that weight or take that cooking class or read my Bible uh, in the the course of a year. Maybe you have other hopes and dreams, like you want to get married or have kids. This time of year is an interesting time of year, like the space between Christmas and New Year's because we begin to think about these things, right? It's an ending, but it's also a beginning. It's a letting go of the previous year, 2017, all of its successes, all of its failures, and it's a welcoming end of 2018, of the new year, and its potential and possibilities. Now, I think we actually find a very similar theme in Luke chapter 2 through 3. It's an ending, And it's also a beginning, and we we are going to see that in these three different stories that we've already read in today's service, and then right before the sermon. So we're going to look at them, and I hope that as we go through these, it'll help you kind of let go of 2017, let go of what happened this year, and embrace what God might have in store for you this next year. Look forward to what God can do in 2018. It's not that we want to forget the lessons that he taught us in 2017, hopefully he taught us all something, but we want to embrace anew the lessons he might have for us in 2018 with a a fresh heart and a fresh mind. So, out with the old and in with the new, right? Out with the old and in with the new. And we want to start today by looking at Simeon and Anna, and they were... Old. <laughs> they were very elderly. And we look at them in Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. Simeon and Anna. So let's talk about them for a moment. Joseph and Mary, they take their newborn baby, Jesus. He's about 40 days old. They take him up to Jerusalem for Mary to be purified at the temple according to uh, the law. And there they meet an elderly man named Simeon who's at the end of his life. And Luke, the author of our gospel, describes Simeon as a righteous and devout man. And then he says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now when I read words like consolation, I'm like, what does that mean? That's not a word that I use in my everyday vocabulary. Well, the consolation of Israel which means the comfort of Israel, and uh, Simeon was really waiting for a theme found in the book of Isaiah to be fulfilled, that God would one day comfort his people, Israel, that he would bring a comforter. And if you look at the book of Isaiah, it makes in, in Isaiah chapter 40, it makes the connection between uh, the comforter and the forgiveness of sins. So Isaiah really talks about someone who will bring comfort to the people of God. Through forgiving their sins. Now, we have experienced this in our own lives in some ways, just practically as well. When you were a, a kid or maybe even as an adult, did you ever like break a window? Like you threw a rock and it broke like your your parents' window, car window, or maybe one of your neighbor's windows, and what, were the, what was the feeling in you? you were, you're terrified, right? You felt terrible. Oh, no, what's going to happen? And how did you deal with that? Well, you, you ran away and you blamed it on your brothers or your sisters, right? Well, that didn't bring much comfort, did it? It didn't bring any, any peace. But when we go to our parents or to the neighbors and knock on their door and say, I broke your window, there still may be consequences. You still may have to pay for the window, There's also forgiveness, and that forgiveness is what brings comfort, right? That forgiveness is what brings consolation so that you don't have to feel bad every time you walk by your neighbor's house. Well, this is true with the story of God. See, in the story of the Bible, we learn that we have broken God's window, (laughs) We have thrown a rock into his creation and we have introduced sin into what was this pure and and wonderful creation. We've broken his window and now it needs to be fixed through forgiveness. He offers us forgiveness and this brings comfort. This brings hope. But what if, what if we were still waiting to be forgiven? (laughs) See, what if a long time ago, our great, 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 grandparents broke the window (laughs) and they weren't forgiven and then their their kids also kind of bore that same guilt and continued to break windows and they weren't forgiven and it just kind of kept going throughout the story and people were waiting over and over again to be forgiven for breaking the window well after a while you'd lose hope right you'd lose comfort you would just kind of be in a constant state of guilt and anxiety but what if the Holy Spirit came to you one day and said, you're going to meet the one who will bring forgiveness. You're going you're to meet the one who is going to replace the window. You're going you're to meet the one who is going to forgive you. Well, that's kind of what Simeon experienced. Simeon experienced the Holy Spirit telling him that he is going to meet the great forgiver, the great comforter, the great hope of the nation of Israel, of God's people. And there as as Simeon is standing with Mary and Joseph, this great hope is realized, this hope that brings so much comfort and so much joy. He says, now I can depart in peace because I have seen your salvation. And the good news is that this hope and the salvation won't just be for Simeon. It won't just be for the nation of Israel. Verse 32 of chapter 2 says this. It says, he will be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. So not only is this message good news for the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, it's also good news for all those other nations surrounding them. In other words, Uh, And and this would have come as just like a message of encouragement, a message of hope to the audience Luke was writing to, right? Because Luke was writing to a Greek-speaking audience. So forgiveness is not just for me who broke the window. It's not just for my family that broke the window, my brothers, my sisters, my parents, my children. Forgiveness is also extended to the neighbor kids who broke the window, too, Everyone can experience forgiveness. Everyone can experience hope. And yet, this is a message of comfort. And yet, mysteriously, it also comes in the form of discomfort. You notice what Simeon adds to Mary. He says, a sword will pierce through your own soul. That's in verse thirty-five. In other words, this message of hope, this message of comfort is going to come through discomfort. See, Simeon is already pointing to the cross. This is really the first reference in the Gospel of Luke that says, this book is going somewhere. This, this, this book is going to the great sacrifice. This book is going to the crucifixion. And then the story kind of turns. It goes from Simeon, it goes over to Anna. Anna is also really old. In our NIV, it says that she was like a a widow uh, until she was 84 years old. Another way of reading this, which I think might be a little bit better, is that she was actually a widow 84 years. In other words, she got married probably when she was about 12 or 13. She was married for seven years, and then she was a widow for 84 years. So she is really old. So whether she's 84 or about 102, 104 She's clearly been waiting and hoping for a long, long time. When she sees Jesus, when she sees this baby, she identifies him as the hope of Israel, as the consolation of Israel, as the one who will forgive their sins. She calls him the Redeemer. A Redeemer, to redeem something means to buy it back. I'm going I'm to purchase something, I'm going to give something, I'm going to get it back. See, Jesus will buy back his people at the cross. Jesus will pay for his people's sins at the cross. In other words, the window's been broken, right? Someone broke the window and someone has to pay for it. Since I broke the window, I should be the one to pay for it, right? Unfortunately, the, 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 the way we pay for God, breaking God's window is death. It's eternal separation from God's love. Now, either I have to pay for it or someone else has to pay for it, right? Uh, My parents can't pay for it because they've also broken the window. My my friends can't pay for it because they've also broken the window. So who's going to pay for it? Well, someone has to enter into our reality, into our world, who hasn't broken the window, who hasn't sinned against God. And someone has to, that person has to be able to pay for it himself. And that's what we see in Jesus. Jesus is God paying for us breaking his window. (laughs) And that's amazing. That's the gospel message. That we're window breakers and God is a a forgiver and he installs it himself. He gives a new window and he's restoring it so that through that window we can see God and we can be in his presence. This is what God does for us. See, the message that Simeon and Anna leaves us, kind of the practical application that we can apply to our own lives is a beginning and an end. It's out with impatience and in with hope. Out with impatience and in with hope hope, both Simeon and Anna, they have waited their entire lives for the Messiah. The Messiah means the, the one God chose to comfort and redeem his people from their sins. It's kind of God's chosen deliverer. We're going to end this service by singing, my deliverer. That's really who the Messiah is. I don't know if you noticed, uh, I noticed when Alan was reading in, in John chapter 3, uh, The Messiah was called Christ. In my version it said, John might possibly be the Messiah. And in his it said, John might possibly be the Christ. Christ just means Messiah. And when we meet meet Simeon and Anna, they've been waiting all this time. They're not even going to see the fulfillment. They're not going to see the cross. They're not going to see the resurrection. And yet they haven't lost heart. They're still full of hope. They're they're full of patience. They're joyful. They're excited. They're excited out with impatience, in with hope, out with the old, in with the new. May may you and I, may may we wait just as patiently and hopefully as Simeon and Anna for Jesus Christ in 2018. As we go about our lives and we want things, may we wait patiently, may we wait hopefully. May we wait patiently and hopefully When he leads us down a road we do not expect, may we wait patiently and hopefully when we pray and he is silent. May we wait patiently and hopefully when we say, here's God, this is what we would like to see happen, and it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in our timing. Let's lay our plans for 2018 before him and say, in your timing, Lord, if at all, out with impatience, in with hope, in with waiting on Christ for our comfort, for our salvation. I wasn't sure if I was going to share this story, but I think I'll share it briefly uh, my, my family, when I was growing up, we adopted a rescue dog uh, from an animal shelter, so maybe some of you have adopted a, a pet at some point in your story, uh, and she was a little blonde cocker spaniel, uh, and uh, she had a lot of issues when she came into our house. Uh, she'd been abused, and so like if you felt her side, you could actually feel a broken rib, and when she would walk up to greet you, she would like, walk up sideways because she had clearly been beaten or like hit in her previous household. And she was kind of nervous and she didn't know how, uh, how you were going to respond. Uh, but over time, we loved her, you know, we cared for her, we took her on walks. Um, but she never really like embraced me and my brothers. <laughs> like I don't think teenage boys are very comforting to a dog that's been through a lot, uh, but she embraced my dad. Like she loved my dad. My dad would take her on these long walks where she could go running and bounding through fields, and uh, you know, get the prickly things in her ears. And then he would take them out. Uh, and when he would come home, like she would happily greet him. And and I think the kind of the the lesson for us here is that she would wait. She would wait for her master. We had like this, this kind of perch in our house that you could look out these really big windows, and she would sit on that perch and just wait. Wait for people to walk by, but then also wait for my father to come home each day from work and then go and greet him. and always very excited to greet him, to be with him. I hope that like, I wait as patiently and as hopefully for Jesus as Taffy did, as our dog, waited for my father. Because he would leave the next day, and then she would wait again, and then he'd come back, and then he would leave. And it was a, a cycle. Taffy once told me, she said, I know my comforter lives. I know my comforter is coming. The one who purchased me from the pound. So I can wait patiently, and I can wait hopefully. Hopefully through anything, even teenage boys. I'll leave that up to you if you believe that. Jesus is worth waiting for. He is, he is worth hoping for. He is worth finding our comfort in. He may not meet us in our timing for the things that we want, but he will never let us down. Out with impatience, in with hope, out with the old, in with the new. And we see this theme continue in the story of Mary and Joseph in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Joseph and Mary, they live a life of obedience. They live a life of obedience to God's law. Remember how Mary and Joseph, they go to the temple to get Mary purified. Well, it says like three times in the the first couple verses there uh, that they did this in obedience to the law of Moses or the law of the Lord. See, they, they were clearly, they cared about God's commandments. They cared about God's word. The law was Genesis through Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. They, they cared about obeying God. And because of this, because of their obedience, Jesus too was born under the law, so under kind of those commandments, but he, he obeyed perfectly. He, he fulfilled the law in every aspect. One of those laws found in Exodus chapter 32 and Deuteronomy 16 said that uh, that you were supposed to travel to Jerusalem a couple times a year, at least once, to celebrate Passover. In fact, entire villages apparently would just like leave home and go to Jerusalem to celebrate this party. That must have been an amazing time. We don't really experience things like that uh, as like modern day Christians. So they went, and, and this year, in, in the end of Luke chapter 2, we read that Jesus was 12 years old. So this was probably maybe the, the 12th time he had done this. He was one year shy of being considered a man in kind of the Jewish culture at 13 years of age. And something interesting happened. When Mary and Joseph left Jerusalem, they walked a day. and At the end of the day, they're searching for Jesus. They assumed he walked home with relatives and they don't find him. <laughs> he's gone. And that's like really scary, right, for a parent. So they turn around and they walk a whole day's journey back to Jerusalem. And they don't find him immediately. It takes them another day. It says on the third day they found Jesus. He's at the temple. And he's talking with the teachers. He's asking them questions and listening and, and speaking to them. And people are just amazed at the, the level of knowledge and understanding and wisdom that Jesus is demonstrating at a 12 years of age. I don't know about you, but when, when I was 12 years old, I did not demonstrate a lot of wisdom and knowledge. People would not have been impressed with me. And, and actually, in this moment, Jesus' parents are not particularly impressed with him either they say this this is mary son why have you treated us like this your father and i oh you know he's in trouble have been anxiously searching for you Je- jesus is in big trouble right when when uh, like i guess when you're a parent if you like want to exert the full authority of kind of the 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 parent the board of parents in your household you say your mother and I or your father and I you can kind of experience this a little bit with the married couple you say my wife and I my husband and I and I think she's also kind of saying remember Jesus Joseph is your father and yet Jesus's response is yes you're my parents but I I I I actually answer to a higher authority than you. I, I answer to my heavenly Father. Verse 49 says this. He says, Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my Father's house? See, as Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, he came to understand who he was, his relationship to the Father. And he kind of got put into this like interesting place in his life where he's called to obey his heavenly father's will his heavenly father's plan but he's also still under his earthly parents his adopted father his, his father who adopted him joseph and then his biological mother it's hard to answer to like Two, like maybe if you had two supervisors at your workplace, and you're like, which supervisor do I answer to, this one or that one? Imagine trying to answer to two sets of parents. Well, a heavenly father and, and, and your other parents. And it's not like like Mary and Joseph were perfect. They weren't. They were sinful. And they're trying to parent a sinless child. Aren't you parents grateful that your, child, your children are sinners? How frustrating it would it be if they were perfect? Because your child would always be right. But Jesus, what does he do in this moment? Like, does he submit to his heavenly father? Does he submit to his earthly parents? Well, the answer is yes. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. The Greek word here for obedience is hypotasso, and it means submission. Jesus submitted to his imperfect, fallible, sinful human parents, and he did it without sin. In fact, he had to do that in order to live a sinless life. See, Jesus had to submit to the earthly authorities that his heavenly father had placed in his life in this world. He had to honor his father and his mother. So what's the out with the old and in with the new theme here? Well, it's out with disobedience, in with submission. Submission. Following the example of Jesus Christ to be a disciple is to follow Jesus. So we want to, in 2018, to follow his example, out with disobedience in our own lives and in with submission. As Christians, we're called to submit in some pretty interesting ways. We're called to submit to our government, Romans 13 In Ephesians 5 and 6, Paul calls husbands to love their wives, wives to submit to their husbands, and children to obey their parents. And then in Hebrews 13 and 1 Peter 5, God calls the people of the church to submit to their leadership, to their elders. Mike McKinley really uh, kind of uh, revealed this point to me. He wrote the uh, Luke for You commentary. And he said this. He says, we are happy to obey our leaders in the church, so long as they don't instruct us to do anything we don't want to do. We respect those who rule over us in government, so long as they enact and enforce the policies we advocate. Wives submit to their husbands, so long as they are getting their emotional needs met. I've learned a lot of things by serving with the elders here at Cornerstone and previously at Emmanuel Church. And one of the things I've learned is that we are fallible. We are sinful. We make mistakes. And yet, God still gives a church a board of elders. God God doesn't give us perfect leaders. There is only one perfect leader, and he is leading from the throne in heaven. His name is Jesus. But the way God kind of orchestrates that leadership in this world is through broken people. So, as regular attenders of Cornerstone and believers in Christ, how can you show submission to the God-given authorities in your life? Maybe your government, but also, I think, kind of here at Cornerstone, what are some practical ways that you can show submission to your Cornerstone Board of Elders? Because you're doing it not because you think they're perfect, (laughs) not because you think we're perfect, We're certainly not but because you want to show submission to God's authority. I thought of a couple different ways. We recently opened up our membership process. You can become a member of Cornerstone. Maybe part of you is asking, you know, is modern church membership necessary? I think a better question to ask is, Okay, so if my elders have asked me to become a member or have invited me, is, is that a way that I can demonstrate my submission to their authority and therefore to God's authority? I think it is because you kind of covenant together. You, you, you publicly declare, I am coming under the authority God has given me. And so if you're not a member, I want to encourage you to, to revisit that, 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 that opportunity and that process in 2018. What if you're already a member? Well, great, you're in perfect submission. Uh, congratulations. A way you can continue to show your submission, to model submission to others and to those around you, is to continue to attend Cornerstone faithfully. I, I think, numerically, a good goal to set is, say, you know, I'm going to try to be here at church three out of every four weeks. That's 75% of the time if you're someone who kind of struggles to get to church on time and regularly. Why don't you set that goal for yourself? Not because Jonathan says it, because you want to be here, you want to be growing, you want to be in submission. And then as you're here at Cornerstone and you're receiving God's word, like the ultimate way that we show submission to God is just putting his teachings into practice in our own lives. We learn the the scriptures, we learn God's word and we try to obey God's word. That's the most important way to submit. Submission isn't easy. It's not fun. In my mind, when I think of submission, I think of a wrestling match and being wrestled to the ground. And it's not fun. Well, it doesn't have to be that way, right? It can be a dance as well, right? Where there's a leader and there's a follower. And a dance looks beautiful and there is submission in that, Did you know that your life, my life, actually depends on submission? My eternal life does. It depends on the submission of Jesus Christ to his earthly parents, but also to his heavenly father. What do we get at the end of Luke? Luke chapter 22, verse 42, it says this. It says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus prayed this right before the cross. See, part of him... (laughs) knew the pain of the crucifixion knew the suffering knew that in that moment his his father would abandon him would forsake him and he didn't want to go to that dark place but he said not my will but your will be done i want to honor you father i want to submit to you and because jesus submitted perfectly throughout his entire life if you believe and trust in jesus Jesus' perfect record of submission is counted as your own. This means we're forgiven for all the times that we don't obey, that we don't submit to those God-given authorities in our lives. And it, means, it doesn't mean that, like, oh, well, because I have Jesus' record, therefore I do not have to submit in my own life. It means, no, we've, we, we can then align our lives to what we already have in Christ Jesus. It motivates us. Out with disobedience, in with submission. Out with the old, in with the new. Well, We have one more example of a beginning and an ending, and this is John the Baptist. An angel came to Zechariah and said, you're going to have a child. We watched this in the video. This is what Zechariah prophesied after having John. He said, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. John is a prophet like Elijah. That's why we sang that song. He went to prepare the way for the Lord. And I actually noticed it for the first time today as we were singing that song where it kind of focuses on like these are the days of Elijah. And I thought I was talking about like Elijah being the one who prepares the way, but then it says, and we are the ones who prepare the way for the Lord. See, we also are like Elijah. We also are like John. We're going out into the world and, and we're preaching this message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, which is what John, uh, what John preached. He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Baptism is a symbol of repentance. You're washed, right? The dirt comes off you. That's what we receive through repenting of our sins and putting our faith in Christ Jesus. We are washed through the Holy Spirit of our sins. And Luke actually says, he kind of goes back to Isaiah chapter 40. We were talking about that earlier with the theme of the comforter. And he says this. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the deserts a highway for our God. Luke in verses three through uh, chapter 3, verses 4 through 6 is quoting from Isaiah chapter 40. See, J- John went before the Messiah, before the Christ to prepare the way. And the way you prepare for the Christ is through repentance. In other words... John calls us to repent of our sins as a way to prepare for Jesus. Here's kind of the application. Out with sin, in with repentance. Out with sin, in with repentance. It should really be phrased the other way. In with repentance, out with sin, because that's the order. But out with sin and in with repentance. To repent means to turn from your sin, to stop doing kind of the act of disobedience and to turn to Jesus Christ. And when John preaches this message of repentance, he doesn't say, in order to repent, you have to become like me. You have to like go and wander around in the wilderness and the desert and like forsake everything. No, he says He says to the ones who have to give to the have-nots. He says to the tax collectors to to stop cheating the people that they were collecting taxes from and just do it fairly. He says to the soldiers who were known for abusing people, to to not abuse, but to protect. To repent means to change where you are, uh, to change what you're doing, where you're at. To say, I want my life to now reflect the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ. So in 2018, let's let go of sin and turn to Jesus. And that sounds like a lot easier than it actually is, right? So really, as we do this, we have to pray, Holy Spirit, would you change me, would you change my heart one day at a time? Because in my own flesh, in my own power, I can't do this. I can never let go of sin. But that's why Jesus died on the cross, so we could take away the sin. And then the Holy Spirit can help us live a life of submission, of obedience, of honoring God, full of hope, full of joy, not impatient. Out with sin, in with repentance, out with the old, in with the new in 2018. Uh, I don't know if many of you remember where you were at the turn of the century, so... 1999 to 2000, I was in my bedroom in my hometown of Estes, uh, and I was 11 years old, so a little bit younger than Jesus in our story today. Uh, And I'd stayed up pretty late, but I was tired, so I went and got in bed. But I was like, I'm not going to miss the turn of the century Uh, this is like the biggest event of my life. I'm going to stay awake. And so I got in bed and I closed my eyes and I woke up at about 12.02. (laughs) I missed the turn of the century. And I was like, this is the worst thing that has ever happened to me. This is a disaster. I was crushed. But I came up with a solution. I picked up my clock and I turned it back three minutes (laughs) to 11.59 p.m. And I sat there wide awake and watched the turn of Jonathan's century (laughs) happen. (laughs) But a part of me knew that that didn't count, (laughs) that that wasn't real. We can't go back to the disappointments and failures of 2017. We can't change them. But we can look forward with hope And with joy into 2018, and what God might be offering us, what God might be calling us to. Out with disobedience, in with submission. Out with impatience, in with hope. Out with sin and in with repentance. Out with the old and in with the new. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace, thank you for your love. In 2018, would we seek to honor you and seek to love you and submit our lives to you in every way? We recognize that we can only do this because of grace, because of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for everyone sitting in this room tonight that they would sense your presence more in 2018, they would know you more, that they'd be loved by you and receive your love and give your love to others. I want to love and know you more in 2018, Jesus. It's in your name I pray, amen.